What's happening, everybody? Welcome to Monday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. And if I sound weary, it is because I am. It's draft week. It's also moving week. <laughs> so there's a million things going on in the Harris household. But we are getting it done on a Monday. We've got a really fun show because one of my buddies is going to join us from Buffalo. Buffalo Bills sideline reporter, Sal Capaccio. Really good friend of mine. Got a chance to catch up with Mark at the owners' meetings as well. So I'm going to chastise him for, uh, you know, cheating on me in some way, shape, or form. But we got a lot to catch up with, Sal. We go back to that divisional playoff round game, which was incredible. Uh, So we talk about that, the Bills, what they're thinking about doing uh, in the draft. And then taking a look at the AFC. The AFC is a, a monster, man. And I would probably say, and I wouldn't probably say, I'd tell Sal this. I told him this, that I thought the Bills are the number one team in the AFC, and I think the Chiefs are there, but they've had so many changes, it's going to be interesting to see how that group ends up adjusting. But Sal Capaccio is going to join me. Then we're going to have our In the Lab, and on In the Lab this week, actually we may have one on Wednesday too, we'll see how that goes, but on this In the Lab, Drew and I did an all-time Texans draft where the Texans are drafting. 3, 13, 37, 68, 80, uh, 107, 108. And we'll stop there because the Texans added a pick. So let's get to a little bit of news because there's two news items, one Texans-related and one that is Texans-adjacent. But I love it. And I'll, get to, I'll tell you what that is in just a second. But the Texans made a deal today with the New England Patriots. <gasps> Shock face. Well, here it is. Here's the deal. The Texans were from 108 to 183. So they had a big gap. They did not have a fifth rounder. Well, now they do. They had the Patriots fifth rounder at 170. And in turn, the Texans give up 183 and 245. 183 and 245 going to New England. The Texans then go to pick 170. So resetting 3, 13, 37, 68, 80, 107, 108, now 170 and 205. That's where the draft at this point will end for the Texans, and then they can get working on undrafted free agents. And the Patriots pick up 183, 245. So the Texans still have. Two sixth-round picks, I think I made, yeah, two sixth-round picks, but they gave up one of those sixth, and they gave up pick 245, one of the seventh. So they keep their higher seventh, so they're going to, I'm sorry, they, they give up their seventh, but they keep two sixths. And my math is correct on that. So they now have a fifth and two sixths as opposed to three sixths and a seventh. I'll let you do the math on that. But either way, the Texans make a deal with the New England Patriots. Now, the one I'm really excited about, I'm like, wait a second, it's a draft, aren't you excited? Yeah, 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 I'm excited, but it's a, it's a fifth for a sixth and a seventh. Okay, cool. Uh, if three gets moved, 13 gets moved, uh, I'm going to, uh, yeah, then we'll start talking. In length. But this one, I am pumped about. My guys from Manchester City are coming to Houston, July 20th. They're taking on Club America. And that is going to be Copa de Lone Star, Jan- July 20th, Manchester City coming here. It's Manchester City's first international friendly in over two calendar years due to COVID. Now, they were back here taking on uh, Man United, taking on United July 20th of 2017. So 
it's a five-year span from that Derby, then coming back here. I am so incredibly pumped to see the guys up close. I didn't get a chance to see them in 2017, but really became a fan in 18 and 19. And they've won a couple of Premier Leagues since. They had a draw with Liverpool the other day, which kept them one point ahead in the table. Learned a lot about Premier League. I can't wait to see the guys in blue here. De Bruyne, uh, Ederson, Sterling. I mean, who knows how the team's going to be made up. I mean, Jack Grealish, they got a lot of things that will happen, obviously. Uh, but hopefully they can wrap up a Premier League championship this spring and come here as defending Premier League champions uh, on July 20th. But that news coming out of our friends with Lone Star Sports Entertainment. All right, we have talked about news of the day. Let's get to my man Sal Capaccio from the Buffalo Bills. We had a lot to talk about. It's been a while since we had a chance to catch up, but he's the absolute best. I mean, you talk about two guys that can just talk ball forever. Well, Sal, Sal Capaccio. I almost called him Sal Harris. Sal Capaccio, John Harris. Here we go. One of my great friends from throughout the country. We've gotten to know each other the last five to six years. He's a sideline reporter for the Buffalo Bills. He's also, you can hear my WG, WGR in Buffalo. He is just a gem of a guy, and I love him to death. And it's Sal Capaccio, and he joins us right now. Sal, how are you, my friend? It is very, very good to talk to you and catch up. I do have to start with a beef, though. Uh-oh. I do have to Uh-oh. start with a little bit of a beef. Uh, I let I let Vandermeer go to the owners meetings and he texts me and goes, hey, I was just on Sal's radio show. Like I let you guys get together for one weekend and all of a sudden it's like your radio buds like what I mean, what gives man? Well, listen, I mean, hanging out with you guys here in Buffalo, I'm still regretting the fact that I couldn't get you wings like I promised, but I got you some <laughs> great dessert. And uh, Mark was amazing, and he loved yeah. – he he's like, we got to have dessert, man. So, you know, we uh, struck up a relationship just like, just like you and I have. And, and Andre, man, Andre Ware was great. Yeah. I still tell my friends, I can't believe I was driving around Buffalo, New York, <laughs> and Andre Ware was just like in my yeah. passenger seat. I'm just like hanging out, right? It's like – surreal to, to think about stuff like that. But anyway, um, it was great. Mark was awesome at the owners meetings. We happened yeah. to be doing our radio shows next to each other. So we kind of helped each other out a little bit there and the weather's breaking here in Buffalo. It's good. Um, it's uh, you know, baseball season. Now it's that time of year it's draft season. So we're already locked and loaded and schedules coming out soon. So a lot of things going on, man, I'm excited. Okay. I got a little something for your Yankees later on and all that oh and open the envelope, but that, that'll, that'll be for a little bit later because I know, I know my Houston fans want to ask you how Garrett Cole's doing, um, <laughs> which has been a pretty interesting subject uh, yeah. here in Houston. But Sal, I want to, I want to rewind a little bit. I mean, you and I uh, had a chance to, to catch up at various points and I texted you probably uh, 24 to 36 hours after the divisional playoff loss to Kansas City. Now, you and I both share in that. We both had teams that lost the divisional playoff round in Kansas City under completely and totally different circumstances. But for people watching at home, as everybody's tweeting and talking about this game, they're saying this is the best playoff game. This is the greatest game we've ever seen in NFL history. You obviously were there on the sidelines. And I know it was a gut punch at the end, not getting the W. But while that game is going on, what are you thinking on the sidelines watching the Bills and Chiefs in that game? Heavyweight fight, man. Unbelievable, John. I mean, Mahomes and Allen. And you look, Josh Allen's stardom is off the charts now. Everybody wants a piece of him. He's going to be on this match with Tom Brady, yeah. Mahomes, and Rodgers. He's on every podcast and video cast going out of the Super Bowl. And I think that loss in Kansas City, 
as much as it hurt, did more for his career than any win he's ever had in the yeah. NFL because of how he can continue to battle and what he did and Gabe Davis's game. But let me just walk you through what happened at the end of the game. You know, as you know, because you do this, we we position ourselves at the right spot for certain moments. Yeah. They're coming down the field. There's 20-something seconds left. He throws the touchdown to Gabe Davis, 13 seconds left. And I literally went, oh, my God. Like, I, I just couldn't believe it. I turned. There's two younger, like, chief staff members who just kind of did a face palm. Like, oh, they figured oh. the game's over. Now, you go into what mode do we go in? We have to, yeah, you're, we're caught up in the moment. We got to do our job now. Right. So I'm thinking, who am I interviewing after the game? I get an on-field interview after every Bills win. I'm thinking, I got to interview someone. I can't get Josh. He's going to go to CBS. I know yeah. that. Yep. So Tracy Wolfson's there, and so is um, Jay Feely. Yeah. They're doing the same thing as me. Who are they getting? We're all scrambling around. And I'm like, who are you guys getting? What's going on? I'm going to PR. And they're like, and Tracy said, we got Josh and Gabe Davis. I'm like, fine. I talked to PR. They're like, Sal, just grab somebody. Don't worry. I'm sure it's okay. Just clear it, you know, before you go on the air, whatever. That's how yeah. that has to work. Yeah. So that's what we're thinking of. In the meantime, I go up to Jay Feely and I say, you got to squib this, right? Now, Jay Feely kicked in the NFL. Of course. He said, he goes, no. He said, I, I think you, you can kick it deep and play defense. And I'm like, well, I didn't agree with it, but I'm like, yeah. okay. Yeah. Sure enough, they kick it deep. Now, there's been a lot of talk since then about did Sean McDermott want to squib it? Did the, did the message not get to the special teams coach? Did the special teams coach not get it to Tyler Bass? What happened? We all know the final result. They don't squib it. They kick it deep. They play soft defense. Uh, things go awry. Two plays later, I see, you know, oh my God. After the one play, I go down to the other end. I'm standing next to Reed Ferguson, the long snapper. I know Reed. Yep. And I said to Reed, how far they have to, how close they have to get. He looked at me and he goes, 42 yard line, love a shot. They get to the 35, game's over. And then John walking off that field. Yeah. I'll never forget the scene and the heartbreak, but I'll also never forget it just because of the appreciation of the moment to be yeah. in that sort of scene and the smoke and all the cameras and the dejection and all of that. It was crazy. I mean, obviously our dejection was a different form because we had the lead and then watching it evaporate over a quarter. So it was, it was a different type of gut punch where you were feeling the highs and lows almost to the minute we felt a really massive high and then watch that. It was like you were watching the car crash coming and you're like, just, just turn, 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 turn. Oh man. It, it was a different feeling, but I had kind of that same thought of walking off the field that day in 2019, actually on into 2020, it was the last game that we played before COVID. And I just remember thinking, something tells me this isn't going to be the same. Something tells me, and it was a different team for us than for you guys. But I still felt like, ah, look, we got we got Deshaun Watson. We'll be okay in the future. Obviously, things did change rapidly. DeAndre Hopkins was traded, and uh, JJ Watt then was released, and then, you know everything changed from there. But you guys, the Bills, are positioned in such a different way because of seventeen. <coughs> and in that game, he is unbelievable, and he is like you said, taking such a star turn. And Sal, I go back to that playoff game that we played against each other. In that first half, he was magnificent. He looked like he was ready to turn the corner. In the second half, he has – I think it was one of the Buffalo – I think uh, who writes for the Athletic, Tim Murphy. Tim Graham. Tim, Tim Graham, yeah. Tim Graham had said – and used the phrase Wyoming Josh. He became Wyoming Josh again. I thought it was a great way of putting it because he did. Things started melting down. The Texans ended up getting the win and then went to Kansas City uh, that very next week. Wyoming Josh is in the rearview mirror about 5,000 miles away now, and he is on a track to be – maybe one of the best we've ever seen. When did you, Sal, see that complete and total turn? Was it in that game or was it prior to that that set him up for that game? 
Um, you know, really, you started to see the turn, I would say, even believe it or not, in the, the start of the 2019 season before that, when he had John Brown and Cole Beasley, you could see him doing all those things. But the inconsistencies still showed up. But th- there was enough there where you said, OK, I think this kid has a chance to really be yeah. really good. And then and then really the, the major turn came in the first four games of 2020 during COVID. Josh Allen played like an MVP. I mean, he just was throwing the ball everywhere around the yard. Of course, they get Stefan Diggs. He was unstoppable. The Bills had gone. Check this out. The Bills had gone five years, I think, since they had a 300-yard passer. Wow. Josh Allen wow. took for 400 yards in the second week of the season that year. Right? Ooh. I mean, like, they had 300, then they had 400. It was something like that. Tyrod Taylor was the last one. It was an overtime game, actually, yeah, when Rex yeah. was there. Yep. So, you know, he, he just – it was a big benchmark. They hit it. But then as the season went on, of course, he had a ebbs and flows, but he never he never stayed out of the MVP race. He was always right there. He was runner-up to MVP that year. And then – really last year when the bills just every time they needed to play Josh Allen made it. And I think that there wasn't like that one crystallized moment. It was always more of a comfort of, I know I got 17 now and we're always going to have a chance with 17. And in that game against Patrick Mahomes, that really showed up that, you know, what was different about that game was John though, the bills had the number one defense in the league last year. Yeah. They didn't play like the number one defense in the league. Right. And I think there were people questioning, well, if you don't have the number one defense, can Josh Allen continue to lay haymakers and come back all the time? Well, he answered that question for sure. And I think that is what gives people, you know, the, the comfort of knowing like, Hey, even if everything else isn't on point, 17 is always going to keep them in this. Yeah, no doubt. And you guys win a division bills, win a division in uh, 2020, win it in 2021. I know there's a lot of new England Patriots PTSD because they were so good for so long. But as you realistically look at it, Sal, do you feel like the Patriots are in the rearview mirror or do you always feel like they are the, the objects that are closer than they appear in the side mirror? How do you look at the AFC East in particular, the uh, New England Patriots? I love this question because it's such a, it's such a nuanced like, kind of thing to look at it from our yeah. perspective versus everywhere else because yeah. when you lived here for 20 years and went through what the Patriots did to the Buffalo Bills, yeah. there is so much scar tissue built up, John, yeah. that even if the Patriots were supposed to be the Jaguars this year, let's say, right? If, if they're a team that like, ah, you know, what are they going to do? If, even if you thought they were the Lions, it wouldn't matter in Buffalo. We'd always see them as, no, 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 it's the Patriots. Bill Belichick, oh my God, <laughs> he's in our head. What are we going to do, right? It's yeah. always going to be that. But the Bills, the Bills really did bury the Demons last year, not only obviously in the um, the playoff game, but even going before that when they won in New England the day after Christmas. Remember that game when Josh yeah. was a beast. The Bills went two straight games without punting against a Bill Belichick coach team. He never had that happen over 400 games of his coaching career. They did it twice in a row. And then they go to the playoff game. And I think they really buried the demons. And let's remember as much as I have the scar tissue, Josh Allen doesn't step on digs. Doesn't Matt Milano. Doesn't those guys weren't here for 20 years. They don't care about that. Uh, It's, it's always there, but I'll say this. I think Bill's fans feel now that maybe even new England has to worry about Miami, obviously, maybe that Miami's caught them. And you know, you got the jets and they have Zach Wilson, but if the bills don't go out and win this division again, and maybe even handily, I would say, I think that would be a really big disappointment now. So bills fans still think about them, but I don't think they really view them as, as much of a threat, especially considering the gap at quarterback. Oh, there is a gap at quarterback. No doubt from Josh Allen to everybody in the league, potentially not named Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers. Josh Allen has been getting it done. We're going to dive into Josh Allen. We're going to get into Von Miller, and then our thoughts on the AFC coming up next right here in Texans All Access. Right here in Texans All Access. Right here in Texans All Access. 
Welcome back to Monday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am John Harris. Glad you are with me. We left you. We're talking with our buddy Sal Capaccio, the Buffalo Bills sideline reporter. You can hear him on WGR in the middays. Great gig up there. Loves himself some football and some hockey. And yes, he's a Yankees fan, so I do uh, break his balls a little bit here. But we got to talk about Von Miller. Von Miller becoming a Buffalo Bill. That was wild. And here's Sal discussing Miller's acquisition. Sal, AFC East, I think, has gotten better. Tyreek goes to Miami. Uh, I think the Jets are going to be better. It's going to be interesting to see what they do with those two uh, top 10 picks in the draft. Everybody talked about the AFC West. Khalil Mack goes to the Chargers. Russell Wilson gets traded. They're, I mean, Devontae Adams goes to the Raiders. Everybody's talking about the AFC West. And yet, Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott wait and wait and wait a little bit, and then bang, they get Von Miller. Now, it's not Von of 2012, 13, 14, when he was just completely wrecking shot, but he is not far from that still being part of his game. We saw that the last part of the season uh, with the Rams. He and Donald played off one another tremendously. What's been the thought in Buffalo in bringing in Von Miller to the Bills? Well, a lot of it is here we are in April and people keep going, oh, my God, I still can't believe that Von Miller's on the Buffalo Bills, right? It's just not the kind of move that this team has made traditionally. Yeah, they signed Mario Williams from the Texans back in 12. That was a really big high ticket yeah. item and nobody ever thought he'd you know, come to Buffalo, but they kind of locked him in a room and said, sign the contract and offered him a whole bunch of money. So he did. This wasn't that case, though, John. This was yeah. a player choosing to come to Buffalo. Yes, the contract mattered. Of course, it did. he's getting 20 million, but overstaying in LA with Aaron Donald and with that incredible cast they have. And it shows that Buffalo is a destination now is what it is. I think it's, it's, it's obviously on the field, what it represents that this team is going to contend. And right now they're the favorite to win the Super Bowl in most books, but really what it is, it was represent it's representative of what this organization's become. It's become a destination. And the guy, the guy, believe it or not, who Von Miller will tell you convinced him to come to Buffalo is Stefan Diggs who said how great it is, you know, Jerry Glanville had a great quote one time, and I know you guys know Jerry well from there in Houston, right? <laughs> yeah, we do. Jerry Glanville had a great quote one time. He said, Buffalo made me cry twice in my life. Once when we, ha- when we had to move there. My, my wife cried twice. I'm sorry. He said, once when I told her we had to move there, and once when I told her we had to leave. Yeah. Buffalo is a great city to be in, to live in, to work in, to raise a family in, but you don't know it until you get here. Stefan Diggs realized it. Bob Miller now is saying, I want to be there. I want to win championships. It's obviously not just about the city. That's a big part of it, but about the fan base. It's about the team they have. So to answer your question about what Bob Miller means here to Buffalo, it means the bills are going all in to win a Super Bowl. They're paying this man at the age of 33, $20 million a year because they feel that if they have Von Miller, they close out the 13 seconds in Kansas city. Yeah, I think you're I think you're absolutely right about that. And that's a great way of looking at it. And if you go back to the previous playoff loss in 2019, I should say 2020 against the Chiefs, but before that against us, there was clearly a thought that Josh Allen needed somebody to throw the ball to. Yep. Dig, Diggs is then traded for that offseason and he signs the the contract this offseason and away you go. And those two are together. And it's it's kind of from afar awesome to watch those two in how connected they are off the field. They, they look like friends. They look like they're having fun together. Uh, it's a pretty amazing to watch. Talk through this one. I just mentioned a lot of teams making changes. Let's take our two teams out so we're not biased. Obviously, our team is not where yours is right now. I think it's really hard to not see the Bills as number one in the AFC. 
So I would put them at the top. Maybe you're biased. Maybe you wouldn't do it. I would. Let's put them at the top. How would you then handicap the AFC as it sits right now with all the various quarterbacks that are, are, are in the, around a uh, conference? Deshaun in Cleveland, Burrow in Cincinnati. Uh, obviously, well, Josh and Buffalo will leave them out of it. Um, you've got the quarterbacks in the AFC West, Derek Carr with the Raiders. You now Russell Wilson in Denver. Everything that has happened in AFC, how would you handicap it beyond the Bills? I would still put put the Chiefs right there with anybody, and I think that they'll be battling in the end probably you know, with the Bills because they still have Patrick Mahomes. They still have Andy Reid as a head coach. <clears throat> they still have a very talented offense, even without Tyreek Hill. But they voluntarily got rid of Tyreek Hill. I mean, they traded him, right? And that's going to hurt them. There's no doubt about that. And they did have some battles with the Chargers last year, and you got to love the Chargers roster. Uh, as long as you have Justin Herbert, as long as you have those wide receivers, and I think their defense, they're going to have some guys back from injury and things like that, they're going to be right there. The thing about the West is, though, even if I put any team up near the Bills, what people have to understand is that division is going to cannibalize itself this year. Right. It's so good, they're going to beat each other up. And the Bills only play one team from the West this year, that is the Chiefs. They don't play the Denver Broncos. They don't play the Chargers. They don't play the Raiders. Go ahead, have your fun, beat up on each other. We'll let you guys do that while we're taking care of these guys in the AFC East and we're getting the number one seed, right? So I think that's where the West falls in, which is I do think those teams can compete for a championship, but they're probably going to have to go on the road at the end of the day because they're beating each other up and giving each other losses. The team that I think is the dark horse is the Baltimore Ravens. They're getting a lot of guys back from injury. John Harbaugh is an excellent coach. Lamar was hurt last year. We know at the kind of level he can play at. I, I, I always have, have a lot of respect for their organization. I think the Baltimore Ravens are going to be in this mix when it's all said and done. And, of course, you can't count out the Cincinnati Bengals with Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, that entire group. The thing about Cincinnati is, though, you know, do they have the wherewithal as an organization to make everything happen and make everything work as they go forward? Yes, they have Joe Burrow. They did a good job addressing the offensive line, but was it enough? He was the most yep. sacked quarterback last year in the NFL, as you know. I love the Miami Dolphins roster. John, as you know, though, you're, you've coached, I've coached. The head coach is a CEO. It's a different role for Mike McDaniel. I don't know what he's going to do there. Just like I'll tell you, I love Brian Dable. I don't know how good of a head coach he'll be in the Giants. It's a different role to be a head coach and a delegator and a CEO than it is to be a play caller or a coordinator and all the different things that go along with it. And you're right, Todd, because it goes the other way, too. I thought Mike Vrabel was one heck of a position coach here in Houston. His one year as a coordinator, not so great. Now, look, he lost J.J. Watt and Whitney Merciless. But you always sense that Vrabel was going to be a better head coach than he even was a position coach or a coordinator. So it, it went the other way for him. But yep. there are some other guys that, man, they need to be coordinators. I always felt like Vic Fangio needed to be a coordinator right. and should be a coordinator. He's a tremendous coordinator. And I think as a head coach, he got shortchanged in Denver because he never really had the quarterback situation uh, that, that they needed to have in Denver for Vic to be successful. But there are always those guys. And you're right. It, it's going to be interesting with these new coaches, which guy – ends up and I thought when you were talking about Miami you were talking about Tua and that's the one guy that if it doesn't happen for Tua I mean the whole tank for Tua a couple of years ago man if that doesn't happen for Tua and the thing about it is with the weapons they have offensively you know, he's not a guy that throws the ball down the field a ton no. so are they just going to be a completely horizontal offense which at some point you end up being able to stop because if they can't attack you down the field forget it then they've got to be They've got to be that accurate and execute that well for eight to 10 to 12 play drives. And that's just, that's just not going to happen. And that was the one thing with Kansas city. You saw that in 2021 with Kansas city teams were just saying, look, we're going to, we're going to let you have stuff in front. 
we're going to take away the big plays to the extent that we can. And there were different ways teams were doing it, whether it was more too high or whatever. But you saw Kansas City sort of slow down because there's an impatience with them and with Patrick, and he wants to get more, as opposed to, you give me seven yards, I'll take seven yards. And that really wasn't, wasn't part of uh, what they were doing, and it took them a little while to adjust. So pretty interesting in the AFC. Draft coming up, hugely important. Obviously, for us, we're sitting at 3-13. and 13. A lot of players that we talked about, I'm sure, have not been talked about in Buffalo because they're maybe not going to get that far. But I texted you the other day, and I'm going to just paraphrase my text. Okay. Because I did a mock draft. It's up HoustonTexas.com. My version two, it'll be the last one. And I texted you, and I said, I can't get running back out of my head, even though I would never draft a running back in the first round unless that dude is special, and I felt like I was one player away. And I think Brees Hall is special, and I think you guys are, if not one player away or a couple players away from going and winning a ring. So I could see it. So I said, you know, what the bleep? And I did it. And I mocked Brees Hall to the Buffalo Bills. Your response to first round running back, but a dude that could change things all told, maybe take some of that running game heat off of Josh combined with, with Moss and Singletary. What are your thoughts about running back in the first round? And if not running back, where do you think the Bills go and what are they doing first round? Yeah, well, first of all, that's why I love talking with you because you're so smart because it's not even your team, but you you got it. You you understand the blueprint. And I, I, I'm with yeah. you. And this is exactly how we've walked through this and we've tried to navigate this whole thing about running back because it is a discussion and everything you said is exactly right, John, which is this. Let me lay it out this way. <clears throat> I think Brandon Bean shares your philosophy, which I do too. Don't draft a running back in the first right. round. Let's look at what the Bills have done since Brandon Bean's been here. LaShawn McCoy was already here when they got here, all right? <clears throat> so that's one thing. But since Brandon Bean's been here in five years now as a GM and Sean McDermott, the highest pick they've ever spent in a running back is a third rounder, twice. Devin Singletary and Zach Moss. They've, they've never given a big contract to a free agent running back. The only running backs they've signed in free agency, TJ Yeldon, Sonoris Perry. They tried to get J.D. McKissick, which would have been a nice this year. Right, it wasn't even right. going to be a ton of money. He went back to Washington. They signed Duke Johnson. These are not spenders. They're not Matt Breida. They're not paying a lot of money. The Bills' philosophy of building their team is, we got 17. We're not paying a running back because he's throwing the ball to all the wide receivers. Right. And that's just not a financially sound structure to build a football team. We're not using big assets on that. However, let's go back to what we said about Von Miller. This was something different. It was off script. It was an all in move. The bills have done everything to go all in this off season, including making sure Stefan Diggs is happy and not having a distraction by giving him a contract extension. To me, that's an all-in move. Like, yeah, I'm not letting yeah. anything derail us this year. Don't let this guy be unhappy. Let's get him there. I think Brees Hall is an all-in move. So I wouldn't be surprised. It's just not how Brandon Bean has operated. Now, that said, John, Devin Singletary was really good in the last five, six weeks of the season. Yeah, One of the yeah. best running backs in the league. They also have Josh Allen, who's a quasi-running back back there. How many balls are there really to go around for this offense? The Bills did tip their cap by, and Brandon Bean did tip his hand by, by signing, thinking he signed J.D. McKissick at least, agreeing to a deal, and then by going out and getting Duke Johnson. So they do want that guy. They want a guy to put in this offense. So I think a guy like Traylon Burks could even fit into this. He, to me, is like a Debo Samuel light, right? He's a, yeah. a guy that you get the ball in his hands. He makes explosive plays. Wide receivers in area, I think they're going to have to address. Outside of Stephon Diggs and Gabriel Davis, Who's the third outside guy? It's Marquez Stevenson right now, who you know there from Houston, yeah. right? I mean, just not the experience. Now you have Jamison Crowder, you have Isaiah McKenzie, slot guys. They do need to add to that group. But there's a thought in Buffalo that less 11 personnel, 
more 12 personnel. And that's why they signed OJ Howard. You have Dawson Knox, OJ Howard. So maybe they don't go there. The one glaring need, the one thing that sticks out in this on this roster, if you look at it, is cornerback. Tredavious White coming off an ACL. He's five months removed right now. By the time the season comes around, what is he going to be, John? I don't mean, I don't know. That's a tough yeah, deal. That's a, that's a tough injury to come yeah. back from, right? Yep. And opposite yep. him, they let Levi Wallace go. He signed a free agency with the um, Pittsburgh Steelers. They like Dane Jackson a lot. I like Dane Jackson. Yep. But if you go into a game right now, your starting corners are Tredavious White coming off the ACL and Dane Jackson. And behind them, you don't have a lot other than some young guys coming off your practice squad. Yep. I think yep. corner is the spot that stands out to where the Bills are probably going to have to shift a lot of their attention early in the draft. I think there are a couple of good options down there, though, Sal. I think I, I like this cornerback class. I think there's there's some good depth beyond the two that everybody talks about, Sauce and yep. Stingley. I wouldn't mind having one of those two here, whether it's three or 13, because the Texans have got to improve that position as well. So at three or 13, I could, I mean, I'd be okay with those two. But beyond that, you've got Trent McDuffie, Washington. You've got Andrew Booth from Clemson. Uh, even though he's not working out, everybody knows what Booth can do. I mocked him to the Patriots. He just felt like a Patriot. But the two that I think, and I had one fall into us at 37, but Kyler Gordon from out of Washington and Kyir Elam from out of Florida, I think those two guys would fit what, McDermott wants to do defensively. I think they're physical. They're athletic as all get out. They yep. have good size for a corner. Those are the two that I could I could see uh, coming off the board for a corner if that's where they highlight it right there. I have I had um, I did put Brees Hall in there, and I had Gordon I think going right at the bottom of the first round, but then I had at number thirty seven. So I did my mock through thirty seven because that's where we are. I had us taking Kyrie Elam uh, at that point because I did not take Saucer Stingley uh, earlier. But I think corner is a tremendous position for the Bills to have a need because there's plenty of depth. And even if they do go corner in the first and they adhere to that philosophy, they're going to find a running back in the third round. They're yeah, going to find a running back in the third round who's pretty Because there's a lot of them. There's so many running backs in this draft, and it's such a varied group. Like you said, you mentioned Traylon Burks and different things he can do. These running backs all do so many different things. And I've, had, I've told people here – what, you know, what are you going to do with 37? What are you going to do with 37? And I was like, as much as, A, as much as I'd like to have Brees Hall, B, I don't know if he's going to be there, but C, I might pass on him to look at 68 and 80 with the running back and get maybe a higher priority position like corner, like a Kyrie Elam, that I would pass on Brees Hall, even though it would kill me. Like you said earlier, you got to stick to your philosophy, and that is priority positions in the first couple of rounds, man. If you got an opportunity to go get one, you have to absolutely go get him. So uh, I think I think you're right. I think corner's good. And you mentioned Dane Jackson. I think he can be a good. I think he'd be a good player, but it might be too much to expect it right now. And like you said, Tredavious coming off the ACL. Um, you never know how somebody's going to react. Some guys come off ACL, and it's like you never knew they were hurt. Uh, yeah, some other so, guys, it just takes a while, especially at a position like that. Yeah. So let, let me touch on corner uh, on running back. Then I want to go back to corner because I think you said a lot of really good things. Um, can you get a guy like Isaiah Spiller in the second round? You know, yes, Kenneth Walker is going to be there. Pierre Strong, a guy I think would really fit for the Bills later in the draft, right? I mean, I think yep. that's a guy you could look at. So I agree with you 100%. Maybe that's the way you go. And I think that's been the modus operandi of Brandon Bean. I'm going to get these guys in middle rounds. Devin Singletary has one year left on his deal. At the way the Bills pay their team, I don't think they're going to pay him a second contract. So I think you get him now, you get a running back in, another third rounder. Zach Moss hasn't quite worked out. Then he takes over in that role. Now you have another guy in a rookie contract. You should kind of let the whole thing churn itself over all the time at that position. So let's go to corner. You're on the same two guys I am. 
I think the best two options for the Bills are Kyrie Elam and Kyler Gordon. I actually mocked Kyrie Elam to the Bills in my first mock on Friday. So, however, that is subject to change, and I very well think I might be getting to Kyler Gordon by the time it's all said and done because of what you said. Look, if you talk to analysts and scouts, and you've done this, Kyler Gordon could wind up being the highest ceiling guy of the whole group. And that includes Sauce Gardner and Derek Stingley Jr. I mean, this guy has the athletic traits to maybe do that. And, John, I've been telling myself for 11 months. Sal, remember this. Sal, remember this. 11 months I've been saying it. I got to remember this. The Bills love to draft traits under under Brandon Bean. Greg Rousseau, Spencer Brown, Tommy Doyle, guys who have uh, Dawson Knox, raw, but we're going to develop them. We're going to have faith in our coaching staff. They're going to be great under us. They let Levi Wallace walk. Levi Wallace is a decent athlete. What he is is a technician, though. Yes. I think they want a better athlete there. I think they want speed there. I think they want a hip turner there. I think they want a guy who can catch Tyree Kill, maybe not catch him. You know what I mean? Who can at least stay a little bit more in trail coverage on Tyree Kill than what we saw. And I think that's the change of philosophy. So I think Kyler Gordon, and by the way, Lorenzo Alexander, our friend uh, who's out in Arizona now, played for the Buffalo Bills. He actually is in the media he and I were chatting last week and he, you know, working through this, he took Kyler Gordon in his mock draft doing yeah. it in Arizona radio as well for the bills. And he knows the kind of player the bills are looking for. I think Elam, I think Gordon, by the way, Andrew Booth, so many bills fans are mocking him. You know, he had Osgood slaughters as a kid yeah. growing up and I'm not saying that can prevent him. He's had a great career and that's great. Right. He also had the double hernia. I, the medical is such a big deal. I just wonder if that fits into what the Bills would want right now. Yeah. No, I absolutely. And I think that's a, that's a big part. Like I said, he felt like a Patriot to me. Just the yep. way that he plays the game. Belichick saying, look, we got to wait for him. We'll wait for him. I just, And not to say that the Patriots are more patient than the Bills, but this is – and I don't know, some people like to talk about the windows. I, I, I bring it up sometimes. When you have Josh Allen, I think the window is just going to stay open for a while. Yep. But that really wide open window is right now and getting somebody, even if it's a rookie, that can come in and has traits. And it, it's so interesting when you just talk to scouts, the first thing they they'll bring up every single trait you can think of. It's not, oh, well, this guy, this guy, uh, you know, he played well in this game or he played well against this guy. It's no, this guy has length. This guy has speed. This guy has size. It's all of that. And then beyond that, because as they say, you win with traits, which. I don't, uh, I don't disagree with uh, all that much. All right, I'd be remiss if I didn't finish with how much vitriol you have towards Garrett Cole early in April and how he's handling his business with your pinstripers. Because I know my fans in Houston. I love it. A little, little Schadenfreude watching him frustration and, and meltdowns. They're having a great time doing it. So how are Yankees fans feeling about it? Uh, actually, I'll tell you this. <laughs> They're pretty mad. But thankful for, for Garrett Cole that the offense has stunk because they're more mad at the fact that they can't get any runs. They lose. They, they're getting shut out by the Tigers. They're losing. They're scoring two runs a game, right? <laughs> Garrett Cole, opening day. I'm, I'm like, yeah, I'm jacked up. Opening day, whatever, right? All of a sudden, like, you know, they're doing the whole thing at Yankee Stadium. They're singing God Bless America. They're having throughout the first pitch. And this guy's going crazy in the dugout yeah. because yeah. he has to wait four minutes to go out and pitch. I'm like, dude, like, I get it. You got your routine, but it totally messed him up. Couldn't find the strike zone a couple of times. So listen, I mean, I'm a Yankee fan. You know that I'm a little upset about the whole Aaron judge situation and where that's gone. My, my son, he's, he's eight years old. He loves yeah. Aaron judge. He has sunglasses and he calls them his Aaron judges. Cause they look like the ones Aaron. So dad, uh-huh. give me my Aaron judges, right. When he plays oh, baseball. Uh, so, you know, he, he likes to wear number 99 when he can. So I'm upset about that. And now 
Of course, we have the whole Yankee letter coming out soon. <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> it, it's coming. I know. I, I'm telling you daily, now that we've gotten to baseball season, I, I can't tell you, there isn't a host, a radio host in this city. There's not a fan that's like, open that damn thing up. Open the letter, Manfred. <laughs> open it. And to me, there's a part of me going, you know what? This is going to be like Al Capone's vault. You know, yeah. when Geraldo Rivera went in Al Capone's yes, vault and I remember. Like, you know, rats and dust and nothing. Yes, and it's true. like, man, this thing's probably going to say, hey, you guys charge too much for the beer on the concourse level or something <laughs> like that. It's going to be just ridiculous and not even close to what we think uh, it's going to be. Sal, you're the best, my friend. So great to catch up with you. Obviously, we'll do this again. And uh, enjoy the draft, and we'll catch up after that, brother. Anytime, brother. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just waiting for the day to make up for the whole wings thing. You know, we're going to do it, I promise you. Oh, dude, we'll have a, well, look, you guys come to Houston. I'm trying to remember the year. So it's 2021 last year. So 2024, you come to Houston. We're going to hook you up with barbecue. Trace Lexus. Go. We're, we're going to hook you up with every cuisine that we can have in Houston, man. Right. No doubt. And I know you'll return to favor when we get back up there. You're the best, brother. Yeah, thank you, buddy. It's a gem of a human being right there, Sal Capaccio. We were talking so much about our trip to Buffalo. And, well, that's a story for a different day. But we, we had a blast regardless. And he did a great job showing us Buffalo. So when – he comes back when the Bills are here in 24, I believe. Yeah, gear up, restaurants, because we're coming. We're coming. we got to show uh, Bills fans and, of course, my man Sal how we do it here in Houston. All right, we get back. The Texans draft at 3, 13, 37. You know the numbers. What if we were able to draft from all time at those spots? What kind of team could we put together? Drew Dory and I did that. We'll do that next. The Texans all access. The Texans All Access. The Texans All Access. We got one final segment this Monday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am John Harris, and we all know the draft is coming up on Thursday. And Drew Dory and I do this every year. It's one of our favorite geek out moments on In the Lab. And we look at the position where the Texans are drafting. And we draft the best players at those particular positions all time. And it starts at number three all-time. Man, listen to some of these names. Yet we had to keep it close to home with our pick. Check this out. Today on In the Lab, John, we're making the Texans a better football team. Oh, okay. And we're doing so by drafting players from the past. Okay. Out of the current selection so like the texans have the third overall pick so uh, we've got andre johnson all the all-time third overall picks and we're gonna get into that because okay. i there but might that's be some, the way we're thinking exactly okay. so there might be some reasons to change your mind about that okay. but all of the third round picks in the history or third overall picks in the history of the draft starting in 1936 in that case because some of the years are a little different are at our disposal so there's 11 selections total i'm gonna write them down and we're not going to get too exhaustive on this. We could. We could spend a, an entire yeah. podcast on every single one of these picks, but we're not. Yeah. It's going to be the Reader's Digest version, Okay. and we're going to get going. So, with the third overall pick, John, okay. you There's could. good options here. The Texans, they've had it once. They had Andre Johnson in 2003. Yep. Say no more. I mean, he's a Hall we're of Famer. not going any further. Book. He's a Hall of Famer in my book. Okay. Now – You've had some people who have changed the game at their positions, respectively, also chosen. So, yes. 12 who've been chosen third overall wound up in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Right. 
Our good pal, Tyler Marcotte, he's Detroit Lions fan, yes. numero uno growing up. Now he loves the Texans, but uh, when he was a little guy, he had his Detroit Lions PJs. He went yep. to sleep under his Detroit Lions bed sheets at night. Bobby Lane, maybe the greatest Detroit Lion Ooh. ever. Oh, or is he? Ooh. Ooh. I think I was thinking of a different one. Because there's another uh, third overall pick by the Detroit Lions. Uh, Doak Walker, who you could say is maybe the great. Oh, no, no. Uh, Barry Sanders was also a third overall pick. But Doak Walker was a third overall pick, too. All three of those pretty good. Two of them were Heisman winners. Uh, two of them, Lane and Walker, played in the same backfield in high school. How about that? you got the greatest Texas quarterback, not named Vince Young. And then uh, you got Doak Walker, who's the greatest SMU football player. It's kind of like uh, Clayton Kershaw and Matt Stafford were high school teammates. <laughs> exactly like that. Something like that. Also taken at third overall, Y.A. Tittle, Hall of Famer from LSU. He's a quarterback, played uh, in, the, in the league for a long time in the 60s. Ollie Matson. Oh, yeah. A guy named Johnny Robinson, who was an LSU Chiefs safety. Yeah, he he had like nearly sixty interceptions. All AFL in his team, all amazing. AFL decade, all decade AFL team is what I should say. As he was a, great. as a child of the '80s, like you, I know Merlin Olson from uh, the Dick Enberg Merlin Olson tandem on NBC. But he was well, a, House on the Prairie too. Was that different? Yeah, he was. Yeah. He was a phenomenal uh, defensive tackle for the Rams for a long time. He was three overall. Yep. So was Charlie Taylor a wide receiver for the yep. for Washington? Dick Butkus. I mean, some people associate the linebacker position with Dick Butkus. Yes, they do. You had a dog named Butkus. I did have a dog named Butkus, named after Dick Butkus. Yes. Claude Humphrey, maybe the most underrated defensive lineman of all yeah. time. He was a sack master for the Falcons for about 14 years. Another guy who you could say is the best left tackle ever, best offensive lineman ever, Anthony Munoz. Oh, good one. Third overall. Yeah. Barry Sanders, and then Cortez Kennedy. Was at two. That's why, okay. He was third overall. third overall. So you've got those guys. Those are 12 who are in the Hall of Fame. You've also got Dre, who's going to be in the Hall of Fame yes. someday. The year after Dre was picked, Larry Fitzgerald, yeah. picked by wow. the Cardinals. Wow. That's pretty good. Joe Thomas, pro bowler just about every He'll single year, but his, but his last. And then Matt Ryan and Joey Bosa, two excellent picks. Yes. This is a Houston Texans podcast. We love the Houston Texans. Andre Johnson is the chalk. The only guy I think I would consider bumping for, for him would be Munoz, just because of how Ooh. amazing he would be. But do we want to do I that? I would consider Barry Sanders. Of course you'd, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, it's a Texas podcast. We're going with We're, we're going to stick Dre. with Dre. Yeah, so with Dre. Texans go to the uh, podium, and they take Dre first overall. My Sharpie does not work, so – um, here you go. I got a pencil. You got right a pencil. Over here as I, get I like out pencils. Of the screen. There you go. Yeah. Pencil sharpened. Everything. Lo-fi. So Dre okay. is our first pick. Now we did every single pick. So go check out in the lab podcast wherever you pick up your podcast, and you could check out how we filled out the rest of this squad from pick thirteen all the way. Now we did do two forty-five, but that pick doesn't exist anymore. So we'll go look and see what we could do at one seventy and. Maybe I have that for you tomorrow right here on Texans All Access. Appreciate my man Sal for being with me, Drew Doherty, to Chris Santiago. It's all you out there. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. And as always, go Texans.